Corinthians chapter 3, if you could turn there with me. Uh, last week we started the first half of the text, then we will finish the second half this week. I'm going to back us up a little bit, but the, the name of the sermon is Keeping the Faith, and I just realized about 15 minutes ago that that's after, named after a really lame movie, and I'm just hoping my sermon's not as lame as the movie was, but you'll find out in a minute, I guess. My three points are this, it is uh, personal faith, communal faith, and then your future faith. And we're going to open up from last week, we're going to start in verse 7 so that we can recap a little bit about what Paul is talking about in the second half of the chapter. So I invite you to come read with me starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. For I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let this hold true, that you hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm going to pray personally, and then I ask that you pray the Lord's Prayer with me as we commune together in faith. Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that you can speak through weak, timid men like me. Lord, your word talks about how you'll have the rocks scream out your glory, so I know you can get glory out of me, Lord. You can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. So Lord Jesus, I pray this in your name. In church, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For nine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. Amen. 
1993, uh, a rap artist named Tupac came out with a song that was a little controversial, not because it was bad or negative or any of that, but it was actually a little controversial because it was a little, it was a little uh, cultural shift from what a lot of rap in the 90s was doing. He, he came out with a song called Keep Your Head Up. And in the song, Keep Your Head Up, he really uh, tries to give a lyrical, musical experience of what it's like to be a, a single woman, uh, who a uh, single mom in America, in the inner city of America. And so he, he does this beautiful, poetic uh, song that really just kind of praises women who are going through this struggle. He relates to it. And then he also kind of addresses men in it. And, you know, and a couple of the lyrics are, are, very, are very powerful. But there's one lyric at the end of the song that really uh, it got me thinking. Um, and, and this is not to knock on Tupac at all. It's a great song. It, it's, uh, it's, it's got a lot of poetic things in it, and it says a lot of truth in it. But this one, this one line got me thinking. It's the last line in the song. It says this. It says, and it's crazy it seems it'll never let up, meaning all the troubles in their lives. It seems like it'll never get better, the suffering, this pain that you're going through. It's crazy it won't let up, but please, you got to keep your head up. And so what that did was, it made me think, I said, is this the best we can offer people who are suffering, who are in pain, and who are going through hard things? Is the best we can give them, please, just keep your head up. You've got to keep your head up. I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves today as we think about keeping the faith as Christians. I think it's the question we need to ask ourselves in the text today because I think it's laid out there for us. And so as we back up and we try to understand where Paul is, he's in prison. Paul's the man who wrote the passage of Philippians. And he's chained up, and he's chained up for a, a noble cause for his faith. And he's going through suffering, and his ministry outside of the walls is, some would say he's doing well, some would say he's not doing so well. There's a lot of issues going on, but it just doesn't seem like things are going well. And so I think Paul has a good answer on how do you keep your head up? How do you keep your faith? So I ask you to join with me in verse 7 as we look at this together. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Stop there. He is referring back to the previous six verses. And what he's really talking about is I was born an Israelite. And what that means, he was born into a kind of a church family. He was born into a holy, righteous family. And so he was raised right. He said, I was born into that, I was taught right, I knew how to walk right, knew how to act right, I knew how to keep all the laws, wash my hands, do all that good stuff, all right? But the second part of it, it talks about that he personally owned that. He became what's called a Pharisee, he became a religious person, became zealous for it. And so he said, I took this faith and I, I went to the highest places I could go with it, I was, I was perfect in my law. And then he says, but my upbringing I count as rubbish. But then look at verse 8, it gets more interesting. Verse 8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss. You see, it's interesting because Paul knows he's talking to. He's talking to a church that's diverse like ours. He's talking to a church that has Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jews in the church would have been able to relate to Paul. They grew up Israelite. They grew up righteous. They had the laws. They had the ceremonial things. We got it all together. We're right. But the Gentiles didn't have it. And so what Paul is saying, you know what? No matter what you are putting your faith in, no matter what you're putting your hope in for happiness, for your identity, and for your meaning in life, count it as rubbish. Count everything as rubbish. In what? Finish the verse. 
in comparison, right? Got them in, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's keep going through verse 9 as we're going to kind of see what he's talking about here. And be found in him and having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Now, Paul's doing two things here. He's talking about where is the direction of what we have faith and hope in, but he's also doing it in two ways. He's saying you either have it, he's, he's basically doing his Romans 1, 25 here. He's saying you're either finding your hope, your happiness, your identity, and your meaning in life in created things instead of the creator, or you're reordering your faith, love, and affections to the creator. And he's saying, he's selling us right now, he's saying, the rest of it's rubbish. The rest of it is trash in comparison to what you were made for. And so he's getting into a whole theme here of, of our faith and also a unity with Christ. But I want to I I talk about what are idols, because I said that word and I realized some of you might be thinking golden calves, uh, things that people way back in the day used to worship, or maybe in some other country that's not as modern and sophisticated as we Americans are, uh, that, you know, they do child sacrifice or something terrible like that. But what idols really are is best defined this way. Idols are this. They're anything that is more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life, and your identity. Notice I've said those three words often, and I'm going to keep saying them because I don't think we think this way often. But what an idol is, is it is anything that is more fundamental than God in your life to your happiness, your identity, and your meaning in life. St. Augustine, who was a theologian in Africa, said it best. He said, the essence of sin, what we're talking about here, is really disordered love. It's a love that's out of proportion. So, so this is what it tells me is that the things in your life that you're putting your happiness in, your identity in, and your meaning in, they're not bad things, right? I mean, we can kind of look at each other in the room. For most of us, we can probably really say, I'm a good person. I, I do a lot of good things. I'm not a bad person. I, I don't steal. I don't cheat. I've never killed anybody. I've never anything. So why do we really need this God to come down and die on a cross for our sins because we're terrible sinners? And the reason is, is because we were made to worship and love God. And the offense of what we've done is that we've worshipped other things. You see, we found our identity and our happiness and our joy in other things. And when you start to realize that, you start to look at the Bible's real intention of, it's not just talking about behavior modification, but it's really talking about heart transformation. God came for your heart, not to make you a better person. And out of these things... When your idols don't do well for you, you tend to do bad behavior. A quick example. Uh, I love when my life is in order. My life is in order. That is a good thing. When my life gets out of order, what do I do? I start cursing everything that's making it go out of order, right? And literally, sometimes I'm cursing. No, I'm just kidding. I work for a church. I never do that. Uh, so, so, the, so see the heart there? What moves me to do that was that the root, and the root is what we're talking about today. I'm not, I don't care about what you do on the outside. This is the same thing Jesus said to the Pharisees. You don't, you don't clean the outside of a cup, you clean what? The inside of a cup. And today we're talking about what are we going to do to clean our hearts? That's what Paul is talking about. 
And he's saying, I can't everything rubbish because I know what cleans my heart. I know who came to clean my heart. And the rest of it doesn't serve my heart the way it's supposed to. But I want to talk about some other things with idols real quick. Um, there are two categories for idols here. I'm going to give you two categories. One is the legalistic one, the one where we're working hard. And the other one is the apathy. It's the, eh, I don't really care, I'm relaxed, nothing really matters a whole lot. And both of those have a secular and a religious side to them. The, the, the legalists, all right, they're the religious people, and some of them are us, let's be honest. We struggle, we want to work, we got to get harder, we got, we got to keep pressing on, and we, we hear that word in a different way. I'll clear that up in a minute, hopefully. But we, we, we work towards trying to obtain something. And, and these people typically, religious-wise and, and secular, they struggle with these things on a norm. Anxiety. Uh, they struggle with restlessness, anger, bitterness, judging, jealousy, and the last one, phoniness. Because ultimately, you can't keep up your work, so you've got to fake it till you make it, right? So that, you can see that in a religious way. How many of y'all know religious people like that? How many have ever been, oh man, y'all, two people had their hands up, y'all a bunch of liars. I'll just point at you, we'll just do that. I'll, I'll raise my hand, that's more fair. But there's also a secular twist to this. You don't have to be religious in an organized religion to have this problem. Let me give you an example. Your career. Your career is a good thing. Your career is a thing God has called you to. Your career is something you should do well in, you should work hard at. The Bible affirms all of those things. God affirms all those things. But your career can become an ultimate thing. And you can start to sacrifice your family. Uh, you can also lose your career. And, and, and when you lose your career, you, could almost, you realize you realize it's an, a God to you when you almost don't know who you are after you've lost it. I'll give you another example, sports. Uh, I heard a pastor preach, and he, was, he got some research from a doctor saying that a lot of times with sports athletes, they struggle when they either have an end of their season, they're retired, or they struggle when they've had an injury and, and their career might be over. And he says, and the doc, they said, the pastor said, the doctors typically say not only do they need physical therapy, but that a lot of times they need psychological counseling to help them figure out who they are. It makes sense. I, I can resonate with that as a football player. But, but it's not just to the jocks. You do this with music, you do this with arts, you can do this with anything, right? The entertainment industry, the, um, the performance industry, right? They can tend to want to make it. And if you don't make it, then you're nobody, right? You, you have this longing in your heart that if I, if I just make it, I'll be there. But then there's an interesting, in the tabloids all the time or in the newspaper, we see people who made it, and they're what? Some of them are coming out addicted to drugs. Some of them are coming out. And, and so I'm not looking at the behavior, I'm looking at why weren't they happy enough to be content? And it's because the God that they're serving does what Tim Keller says. He's a pastor in New York. It says it always breaks our hearts because it can't deliver. And I'll go further. I think it always destroys us in the end. And so you've got the legalist, and then you have the apathy. And the apathy is a little harder to see because apathy is kind of like the, the hippie religion. All right? Everything's good, peace. God just loves us all, but who really is God? doesn't really matter, right? We call this antinomianism in the theological term. It's just, just kind of like the rules don't matter. 
All right? And that's the, that's the kind of the religious view, but this also is a secular thing. Because I found, working particularly with youth and working with, uh, with you know, even adults, one of the things that we worship, we don't realize it, is the God of comfort. And I just want you to be clear, you're probably both of these. So if you're trying to say, if I'm a, am I a legalist or am I apathy? Let me just tell you, it depends on the day, right? You might be going through one, and then the next day changes, and you're working on the other. You know, I'm energized today. Well, I, I lost, so I want to go back to comfort, so I'm back over here. Okay? You, it doesn't matter. It could be anyone, depending on the day in your heart. Our hearts are always, always wandering to these things. But here, here's the thing on apathy in a secular way. It is the God of comfort, and what it does, and I've seen in a lot of young men that I work with often, and there's, I don't want to ignore some of the men I work with situations being difficult and hopeless. But at the same time, I know that they make it more hopeless because they're afraid and scared to go out of their comfort because it's where they're safe. It's where they belong. It's what they worship in a way. And, I re- and that's not just them. I see it a lot of us. I see it in me. That's, that, that's the typical thing. But I want, us to, I want to make an argument that the passage here doesn't just leave us with two ways. Amen? The passage here doesn't lead us with just, are you a legalist or are you an apathy? There's a third way. There's the way of the gospel. There's a way of finding and reordering our loves to what we were meant to love. What will actually love us back and not destroy us and break our hearts. Love isn't only in Jesus Christ. And that is the way you can understand what Paul says here in the next part. Read with me as we just go through verses 10 and 11. Well, let's read back up to 9. It says, that, uh, And be found in him, and having a righteousness of my own that come, that not come, uh, not of my own, but that comes, uh, back up. And, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, a couple things I want to hit on here. Number one, that we be found in him, that's our identity. See how, see how the gospel changes our identity? We are no longer just Craig or Antonio we are Craig with Christ. We are Antonio with Christ. It's a marriage. When we commit our lives to Christ, and we repent of our gods that we've had in our life to bring us happiness, and we say, we want one God. We want you, Lord Jesus, because you're more, you're better, you're, you're far surpassing than all the other things in my life. When we repent of that in the smallest way and we start that, it becomes no longer just you. See, I'm, say, I'm taking time to say this because we live in an individualistic culture in the Western world. And so we tend to think it's just you, you trying to make it, you trying to do your thing. But this is a, this is a communal faith, which is why church is important. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is also a faith where you are united with God. And so where you go, he goes. What you do, he does. And guess what? What belongs to you belongs to him. And that's why you can say, I can lose things because I've gained everything. Because guess who owns everything? Your father, Abba, Daddy, God. 
He owns it all. And you're united with Him. This is good news, but this is what Paul is, is getting into here. But I don't want to skip over the last two verses, 10 and 11. I want to explain them to you. Paul is, is really talking about, I, I have and obtained this faith. It is real right now. It is a present tense. It goes on right now. When I put my faith in Christ, I am accepted, loved, and in Him united now. But then there's this also part of us that we're still here. We still have a purpose. We still have a meaning. And that meaning is to get to know Him. Listen to verse 10. That I may know Him. That is your new meaning in life. That you may know Him. And also make Him known. And the power of His resurrection. This is Him identifying and that He will be raised with Him. Not only on the last day, but actually spiritually now. That your dead spirit is being raised with Christ the more you enter into Him. And that you share in His sufferings. So this is why we can, as Christians, endure suffering in this life because we have a Savior who has gone through suffering. We have a Savior who identifies with suffering and who perseveres through suffering. We're going to hit more on that later. And become like Him in His death. He became highly exalted in His death, which you will be united with Him. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That last verse does not make any sense if you read it as a literal resurrection from the dead. Some people are saying, is Paul not sure of his salvation here? No, that's not what he's saying. Is Paul not sure he's going to be raised with God at the last day? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I want to die to myself. I want to know Christ. I don't want to be individual Blake anymore or individual you anymore. I am united and I want old me to die. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing Jesus says. Pick up your cross and come follow me. He's not saying literally... Go make a cross and follow me. Nobody does that. I don't see anybody anyway. He means literally, come identify with me in my sufferings. Come follow me. It's the same thing John the Baptist says in John 3. I must decrease, he must what? Increase. This is what the Christian life is. It's a painful thing because at the end of the day, you love yourself. And you're dying to yourself. One of your gods is yourself. You think you're great. And if you're depressed and you're, you're hurt, you think your depression is more important. And, uh, I want to be careful here. You think that your depression is, is so powerful that God can't do anything about it. He can and he will. Put your faith in him. He knows what it's like to be in suffering. He's preaching the gospel to himself here in this third way. And that's why we can say we don't have to be a legalist and earn God's favor because it's paid and he loves us. And at the same time, we don't have to be apathetic. We can be completely motivated knowing that God's love carries us and we can grow in deeper with it because this is true. Getting to know Jesus gets better and better and better. Now, be careful. What I don't mean is that you won't experience tribulation and suffering and hard times here now. But what I did say is getting to know Jesus gets better and better and better. And it will climax on the day when we are in front of Him in glory. And it will be wonderful forever. It gets better and better and better. How do you have the power to grow in this affection? Let's go to verse 12. How do you have the power to grow in this affection? It brings us to the main point today. You grow in this 
through faith. Let's read 12. Not that I have already obtained this or, or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Stop there. Why is he pressing on? Where is the motive here? We're going to get to faith in a second. Where is the motive? If you listen to him at first, he almost sounds like he's a legalist, right? I'm pressing on. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get better, and Jesus is going to love me more, right? No. He is not going to love you more because of your effort because the second part of this text answers the question. He has made you his own. Present tense. Done now. Paid in full. You are, if you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you are right now his. The question is, are you pressing in to know that in a deeper way? The way you do that is you trust in what he has done and you believe it more and more and more. And what Paul is saying is, I press on personally, which is where we are right now, we personally have a faith that we press on. And these are three ways that I think you should take home with you to think about these things. Number one, are you personally reading God's word on your own? Are you growing in the promises of God? Are you applying the scripture of God to your heart? Number two, are you personally praying to God? Listen to me. This is not a duty. This does not earn any more love from God. What this does is it makes you experience his love more. It makes you united to him more. It makes your happiness, your identity, and your meaning in life come more true. And it helps fight those false faiths that are everywhere. And the last one is this. Are you preaching the gospel to your heart daily? Let's make it hourly. That's how much I need it. I did not know those words until I was 23. I did not know what it meant to preach the gospel to myself. I thought the gospel was the ABCs. It was the beginning, and I, I just moved on from there, and I just worked harder and got better, and, and Jesus would love me more. But the gospel is the A through Z. It's the entire thing. It's the whole, it's the whole thing right there. Are you growing in it? Are you preaching it to yourself? Are you claiming Christ's righteousness for yourself? Are you saying, I am found in him? So it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what my boss says. It doesn't matter what my wife, who's never content with me, says. It doesn't matter what my husband, who's never happy with me, says. It, it matters what Christ says. And what he says is you're found in him. Live in that. Live in that. Are you preaching that to yourself? And then ultimately, are you saying, what is the meaning of my life? It is simply this, and it will be this for eternity, to know him. Are you getting to know him? The rest of the passage is quickly saying, is, is just saying this, and, and it climaxes again in, in, um, in verse 16. It says, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let us continue to hold true to what we've obtained is that we've obtained Christ. Are you holding on to him? Are you living in him? Because he loves you. He loves you more than you know. But the lie in your heart and in my heart is that we think the world has something better to offer. We think the world has something better to offer. And, and the good news is that Paul reminds us here in his vulnerable text here, I love how honest he is, that he's not perfect. By the way, you'll never be perfect here. 
But he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. The good news is that even in the midst of our immaturity, and my immaturity and your immaturity, when we forget this, when we wander from it, God will bring it back to us. He'll remind us what we have obtained. We'll persevere in what he's done, not in what we do. And so now we can understand the rest of the text, which is communal faith and then future faith. Verse 17, communal faith, which is my second point. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Stop there. His language changes from a personal testimony of preaching the gospel to himself. His language changes from that, and it changes towards brothers, sisters. Find people that you want to walk like, that, follow, that are like us, who are instructing you to follow Christ. Let me tell you something. You can grow in Christ by yourself, but you will flourish with Christ in community. And God has ordained it that way. He has made it that way because he is a communal God. He is the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is a perfect community in and of himself. And he invites you into it, and he invites you into it, and he invites me into it. We grow in community. We grow in discipleship. We grow in a corporate worship. And that's exactly why we just witnessed a baptism. We want to celebrate what God is doing in each other. That's why we listen to testimonies from one another. We want to celebrate what God is doing in each other's life. It's why we come together and we have communion, not by ourselves, but together, so that we would eat and drink and remember the good news together. That we'd be encouraged together. You're not meant to do this walk alone. Matter of fact, one of, the, one of the best things that we can do, and I just, it was fun to watch the Friends of Jesus come up here, if you're a parent, it's just praying over your kids. I love that simple song, Jesus Loves You, This I Know. I sing it to Aiden every night. And it's not because I'm great, it's because I need to remind myself of that when he's crying and things seem really hard. But Jesus loves me, this I know, and gets me through the night, and I think it kind of puts him to sleep sometimes. <laughs> But look, the reason we have a, a, a community where God keeps reproducing through our families is that we would grow together and we would pass that down. So I asked you, are you repenting in front of your kids? Are you repenting with your kids? Are you praying with your kids? And are you praying in front of your kids? Being an example, walking. Are you reading in front of your kids? And are you reading with your kids? single people and people who don't have children are you doing this with community and covenant groups are you doing this with kids in the neighborhood are you doing this with other people this doesn't just mean for people who are married and have kids are we living our faith out for two reasons one that people would grow and see the testimony in us that we would enjoy it i guess three reasons and the last one that even if they don't believe it they would know you believe it are you living your faith out in a way that even if, even if they don't believe it, they know without a shadow of a doubt you believe it. But the next part, I have to warn you, if you're not living in community, there's a warning Paul gives here. If you're not ha encouraging your faith in the gospel in community, verse 18 speaks to us. For many of whom... I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I open this on purpose because it's true and because it makes sense even in this part of the text, with that the problem with our sin, the root of our sin, is a worship problem. It's a love problem. It's an idea that we can get happiness, we can get identity, and we can get meaning in life apart from God. And we do it as Christians because we forget and stray, and we do it as non-Christians because we have not seen or tasted how good He is. But this right here speaks to it. Listen to his language in 19. He says, the end is the destruction. Their what? Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. That's their righteousness. That's their, what they're chasing for acceptance. It's really their shame. And what are they really going after, he says? Earthly things. There's Romans 1.25 again. The created things... Versus the creator. I want to invite you, if you need a family, a community of faith, we got one right here. Please keep coming. We have, we have community groups. We have, we have people who would love to disciple you here. You need to grow in your faith in community. It is important because the world and your hearts are constantly wandering to things that are going to excite us that we think will give us what we're looking for. I have fallen for the lie too many times. And I'm sure before the sun goes down today, I'll have to repent of it again. I bet you will too. But we have a God who reminds us of what we've obtained. And with future, the last part here, our future faith. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The Bible, if you're not a patient person, is a tough book because it is just like over and over again, we've got to wait on God, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. It's all over the Psalms, Isaiah, it's everywhere. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. Paul is just saying, we await. Lord, you're good, you're good enough to wait for. He said, we'll wait. But he says a couple things in here. But the most important thing is, but. Very first part. But our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship. Thy kingdom come. It's Jesus and Paul's lingo there. It's the community. But it's more than that. Our citizenship is in heaven. He's saying our prize, our communal faith prize where we are fully identified with God and fully in Him is in heaven, and it's worth it. And here's the main thing I'm going to sell you on today. The reason it's worth it is because it never dies. Now I want you to think of your idols in your heart, your careers, your spouses, your children. They will all fade. They will all die. They will all discontinue. I did that one for clothes and shoes, if you like that. They will all not be here forever. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that God gives us, that our happiness, our identity, and our meaning will last forever, is in the future to what we look towards. It is the greatest sales point 
in this entire text because what it's saying is that I've got something for you that's good now, it's good when you're dead, and it's good forever. It goes all the way through, and you'll never lose it. And like I said earlier, it just gets better. It just keeps getting better with Jesus. It just keeps getting better. So let's close on this. I started with a question. I started with a question. How do we tell people to keep their heads up? How do we tell them to keep their, keep their faith that things are going to get better through suffering and pain? All that? Do, do we do what Tupac does? We just please keep your head up? No. The reason we keep our head up is because of who we have put our faith in. The reason we keep our head up is because of who knows hard times, suffering and pain, yet kept his head up. The reason we can keep our head up is because he hung his head low and gave up his spirit when he said, it is finished. It is finished and he loves you. You can continue in that. You obtain that. That is what walks you through this life. It's what walks you through the valley of the shadow of death and you will have no fear. It's what keeps you going and it's what is the answer for our hearts and for the hearts of those outside these walls. Will you live in it? Will you breathe in it? Will you... Praise God in it, because Jesus has paid it all. It is finished. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are good enough, that you are all satisfying, that you are all great. And Lord, forgive us when we have found so much satisfaction in the wrong things. And Lord, thank you for letting our hearts break to bring us back to you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are so good and so faithful that we can get to be with you one day forever and that we will finally have our joy complete. In your name, Jesus. Amen.